Well, if you have your Bibles today, I am going uh, uh, to preach a message which is going to help give God control in an area. I just wanted to use this prop. It's been here all week. It's incredible. It's a control. Uh, you know, um, we're in a series called, uh, called Moral Compass. And the moral compass is really about navigating life God's way. And how, it really to help us to be able to, uh, you know, how do we walk the way that God would have us to walk uh, in a time where it seems like uh, everybody's got an opinion about what is right and what is wrong. How do we develop in us a moral compass so that we can navigate this properly in a way uh, that pleases God and actually causes our relationships with others to flourish. Well, I believe that it is actually directly connected to the commands of God. You see, the commands of God are not just do's and don'ts, but the commands of God reveal principles that are powerful and that if you understand the principle behind the command, you'll operate in a new level of power. You'll operate in a new level of grace. You'll operate in a new level of victory. And so we're going to uh, uh, look at, at those, uh, uh, the commandments, the 10 commandments from Exodus chapter 20. But first we want to show you the effect of treasuring the commands. I, let me say this. In the church world, there is a massive movement away from the commandments. And it is a heretical slide. It is not the way that the church should go to go away from the commandments of God. We need to embrace the commandments of God and receive the power that God gives us to live the life that is connected to his commands. And when you do, you're blessed. Proverbs 3 says that. He says, my son. Look at these words, my son. Can I help you, church? Don't preach commands to people who are not in relationship with God. The people who need to really understand the commands of God are the people of God. So that we can demonstrate the life and the blessing that is connected to the commands of God. That's connected to being in relationship with God. You can talk to people who don't have a relationship with God uh, uh, using you know, sociological effects of their decisions, uh, the relational effects of their de uh, decisions, the negative impacts that it might have on their family, on a community. You can, you can reason with them, but don't try to use the Word of God with people outside. Now, the Word of God is living and active. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, but they may not have the same value system that you do. Who is this for? It says, my son. See, the commands of God are meant to be embraced in relationship. So it says, my son, don't forget my law, but let your heart keep. That means treasure my commands for, look at the blessing, the length of days, uh, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. That's what the commands give. Let mercy and truth uh, not forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Uh, write them on the tablet of your heart and... Look at the benefit. Find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. He says, listen, my commands are going to give you favor in your relationship with me and also favor in relationship with other people. 
That's what the commands do. And, and, and how do you do it? When you even don't understand the purpose behind the commands or the principle behind the commands. Here's what you do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he directs your path. He says, listen, there may be some things that God tells us to do that we don't even really have a full grip on, but we're going to have to step over into the area of trust. And then when we do, we're going to find favor with God. Favor with God. How many want favor with God? I want favor with God. Matter of fact, I want undeserved favor with God and I want the favor of God in my relationships with other people well I want to remind you that when it talks about the commands commands are like lighthouses if you are on a journey in the sea uh, and you see a lighthouse many times what it is is a navigational tool it will help you make a course correction and, and you, you, you'll just use that light as a beacon of saying, okay, I know where I'm at on my journey. But if you try to uh, go against what the light is warning, if you try to go against the command of God, what will happen? You'll shipwreck. You'll run up on the rocks, and God's trying to warn us and say, Lord, listen, don't go against the, my commands. They are good, and they will bring favor on your life. They'll add length of days to you. There is a blessing behind the command. So don't try to fight God on his commands, but embrace them and use them as a navigational tool in God's direction of your life. So today, I want to share with you a message that is connected to the third command called the principle of humility. The principle of humility. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the Amplified, it says it this way. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is, irreverently, in false affirmations, or in ways that impugn the character of God. For the Lord will not hold guiltless, nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain, disregarding its reverence and its power. NIV simply says this. It says, do not misuse the name. Well, I, I, you know, for us to understand this commandment, we really need to understand the name. So what is the name that it's talking about here? Well, here... Uh, the name that is being referenced is uh, in, in uh, theology, it's called the Tetragrammaton. I don't know if that makes, it excites any of you, but I spent, my, I spent my week deep in study, studying Tetragrammatons. And uh, not that I'm going to teach you all about them, but it basically is this. It's the assemblance of letters uh, that, that make the name. In Hebrew, it would be Y H. And some would say W, but W doesn't exist in Hebrew, so it's actually V-H. It's Y-H-V-H. Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. 
is the name of God. We would say Yahweh. This name occurs over 6,000 times in the Hebrew text. In the Hebrew text, over 6,000 times. You say, well, I don't think I've ever read that that many times in the Old Testament. Well, you actually have. Because the translators actually had a, a very high reverence uh, for the word. And they were also Hebrew. And the reason that you've actually read the name, but you haven't actually read the name, is this. That the, the translators took the Tetragrammaton and they replaced it with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So in your Bible... When you see LORD in all caps, that is either directly a translation of Yahweh or it's a Greek text that's referring to a Hebrew scripture and the translators knew what it was referring to. You understand? Now, where did this name Yahweh come from? Well, it came from Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was having a burning bush experience with God and, 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 and Moses is being called to deliver the children of Israel. It says, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's yod heh vah And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, what you need to understand is, is that when God declared his name, he was not only declaring, my name's Bob. He was not just giving a title, but his name actually describes his character and his person. So when he says, you tell them, Yahweh has sent you, he was saying, the self-existent one, the one who began everything, the one who has no beginning and no end, the one who cannot be defined, he is undefinable, indescribable. When he says, I am, he is describing who he is. It's his character. And so the name of God used here in the Hebrew text over 6,000 times is saying the eternal God. The life-giving God. Creator God, the name reveals his nature and character. Now, listen, this commandment in Exodus chapter 20, many Jews uh, still to this day take this commandment so seriously that when they were, even in English, if they were to spell God in a written form, they would spell it G underscore D. They don't even use the whole name God, which is usually translated from another word, Adonai, which is like in, in the Old Testament scriptures uh, about 600 times. And so they, they won't even write it fully out. Many to this day would never even utter the name just because they're like, we, 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 we've, we've held it in such reverence. We don't want to say it. 
Now, for us, in our culture, the pendulum has swung the other way. We, we, we're not in that kind of error where, where we, just, we, we just rename everything and we don't say God's name because there's such reverence and we're afraid of breaking the command. For us, it is that our culture has become very irreverent when it comes to the name of God. But here's what you need to know. Behind this commandment, there actually is a principle that will release power in your life. And we'll get to that power at the end. But you need to hear the plain meanings of this scripture so that we can make adjustments to the lighthouse. Now, this may not feel like a lighthouse. It may feel like a glorious chiropractor session this morning where some things get moved by God's word. Now, since the NIV used the term misuse, that's what I'm, I'm going to give you a couple examples of us misusing the name of God that Jews hold in such reference they won't even spell it out. Let me give you a uh, first, you can profane the name. You can profane the name. You should write that down. Profane the name. Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 7 amplified, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is to make it meaningless uh, or to use it irreverently. But let me explain to you what most people have translated this scripture. And this is usually the only definition that's given connected to this, but there's a deeper one. First, it's this. It is that we are using the name of God carelessly, irreverently. Leviticus 19.12, when God was giving moral instruction about how to make a community function, how to make things really work well, he lists this verse in the middle of Leviticus 19. He says, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. The word profane, the closest common word to it in English is profanity. Profanity. And that is to simply make the name of God in our culture a curse word. And I, I just should say it th this way. It should not be. So, so the common ways is, is, is that we use God or we use Jesus Christ as a curse word. Which I want to let you know is exactly the opposite of how God wants his name to be used. You know, the, 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 the apostles were, the disciples were rejected one time and they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, they didn't like us in that village. Want to call down fire? And he says, you, have, you don't even know what kind of men you are. He says, you want to use my name to call down a curse. He says, I want my name to be used to bring people into God's blessing. And so here's what we do. And even in the church, we use the name of God 
as profanity. It was, it's like it, when we stub our toe or we, you know, we do something, it's like, oh my God. And, and listen, this is the crack. Let me, let me say it to you another way. All my young people, they're probably not going to look me in the eye after this service. All of you on your social media, stop texting and saying OMG. Stop it. You're irreverently using the word of God, the name of God. You need to stop it because God says, listen, the penalty for that is that he says, I hold them accountable. I punish them for that. There's punishment connected to that. It has to stop. And by the way, we know what they all mean. You're not more noble because you say L-M-A-O-O-O-M-G. All the kids know what that means, and so the parents are like, I'll have to look that up later. Don't. It should not be. It has to stop. I mean, why is it? That it is only Jesus Christ that is used as a curse word. We never hear anybody hurt themselves and say, oh, Buddha. <laughs> you know, someone stumbling to get to the coffee pot in the morning, stub their toe in a chair, Hare Krishna. <laughs> no, no, and no, that wasn't tongues. No, that wasn't tongues. It's, it's a different religion. I'm just saying, why is it that the names that actually hold power to bless are the only names that are used and misused to bring curse? It shouldn't be. And you know where judgment starts? In the house of God. It's got to, listen, these are, the, God's warning us. God's warning us. Listen, young people, please listen to me. It matters. Older people with Facebooks. Young people don't have Facebook. It's all now older people. Please. Don't use the name of God irreverently. You say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's Old Testament. Well, okay, let me give you some New Testament. Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, which is but what is good and necessary for edification, building up, that it, it may impart grace to the hearers. And verse 30, listen to this. It says, and. When you have and, that is beginning the next verse, it's connected to the previous verse. And. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we profane the name of God and use it irreverently, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, many times in the church, we are unaware when the Spirit of God who lives in us is grieved. But, but I believe that if we had a sense 
of reverence for God. And we had a sense of reverence of his name because it's declaring his character. You say, well, how does the name Jesus declare God's character? Here it is. Here's how. Because Jesus is kind of the Greek interpretation of his Hebrew name. His Hebrew name is Yahshua. It's Yahshua, which become Jesus. Again, a tetragrammation through languages. And and. His name doesn't just mean Jesus. His name means, remember the, the name of God, Yahweh. It's the, four, the first shortened form. It's Yah, and Shua in Hebrew means salvation. So he's saying his name is God's salvation. So when, when, you, when, you're, when you're applying God's salvation to a curse... It is to irreverently turn the very meaning and the moral character of who he is upside down. And it should not be. And God will help us and empower us to obey this. Now, this is just the common way. But let's go a little deeper. Because you you can not only profane the name, but you can malign the name. I want to explain this to you. You can malign the name. You can write that down. Young's literal translation of Exodus 20 verse 7 says, Thou dost not take up the name of Jehovah thy God for a vain thing. You see the word it take many times in Hebrews. Most of the time, the first definition means this, to carry, to bear. It doesn't mean to just say, it means to bear, to carry the name. He says, do not take up the name of God in vain. Let me me explain what that means. It means that it is possible to assign God's name to your life, but in a vain way. That means some people say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but there's no evidence of that. They've taken the name of Christ, but not allowed the power of the gospel to transform them. And God would do it because his name is that powerful. But he's saying, don't malign my name by applying your name to a life that is not submitted to God. You know, each one of us um, carries our father's last name, or most of the time, carry our father's last name. And, um, and the way that we live can actually uh, bring honor to the name, or because of the way that we carry the name, it can actually become very negative. My son, on Friday night at parent night, came straight in from uh, baseball practice. He was wearing cleats, white baseball pants, and a power-up shirt. And I don't know what he drank that day. I don't know what was going on. But he said, that's it. I'm going on the front row. There's videos everywhere online. I'm sure it's going to get a million hits. 
That brother was shouting to the top of his lungs and dancing and doing moves that are not in it. And, and I was like, I got the whole thing on video. I hear people laughing out loud in the crowd. There are people watching him. His peers on the stage are watching him. He's dancing. No shame. End of the song. He looks at the crowd and says, let's go. <laughs> and someone came up to me. At the end of the night, and they said, we can tell he's your son. (laughs) To them, he was bearing the name. And I want to show you what it means to bear the name in vain. Now, in Leviticus chapter 22, there's a moment where God is giving some instruction to to, to, uh, Levites, which are Aaron and his sons. And this is what God says. He says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons that they may separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. Say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generation who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying you can profane and malign the name of God by approaching holy things that have been dedicated to the Lord. That means we they have a certain look, but inwardly we are unclean. That means inwardly we're not submitted to the Lord. We're not, we're not living in a way that would honor God and please God or pursuing. I'm not talking about perfect. I'm actually talking about just being pointed toward the Lord. We all will fall. We all will stumble. But the scripture says, though a righteous man stumbles seven times, he gets up and he keeps going after God. He's going to keep going. Why? Because God's grace gets him up. But here's what this is saying. He's saying, listen, you cannot handle the name of God and the holy things of God in an unclean manner and expect the presence of God to accompany that moment. And so what I, what I want you to see here this morning is that many times people feel like, oh, I'm so dry. I don't feel the presence of God. Well, many times what it is is that we are trying to live very willfully Monday through Saturday all while putting on a really good face on Sunday. We shake the hands. We say, well, you know, somebody comes up to us and say, hey, how you doing? We're like, I'm doing good, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. But all while we know that inside things are upside down. And God's saying, listen, that's not the way to bear my name. The way you bear the name of God isn't in pretense, it's in honesty, it's in authenticity. You actually live for God. Be real for a second. Be, uh, and how about this? Be flawed. Because Jesus didn't come back for perfect people. 
He didn't come to give his life on a cross for perfect people. He came for the sick. He came for those who were hurting. He came for the broken. And so what do we need to do? We need to say, God, I want to bear your name in a way that is authentic and real. Not unclean on the inside and yet on the outside seems to look a certain way. In Ephesians 5, 1, it actually says the same theme to us. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Here's the relationship theme. A relationship with God. We don't do it out of rules. We do it out of relationship. We're imitating God as our Father. It says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But, listen, here it is, the uncleanness, the, the things that, that separate, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, people who have taken the name, neither filthiness, foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Listen, any time that we will become an imitator of God, we won't be doing these things. And when we are imitating the Father, we won't be carrying his name in vain. Well, let's talk just quickly about two proper uses. Two proper uses of the name. And it's connected to this word, humility. First proper use, you can write this down, is we need to humbly pray in the name Humbly pray in the name. Matthew 5, 9, uh, it, it, says, uh, it says this. It says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's probably Matthew 6, by the way. That should be, I think that's Matthew 6. But in this manner, this is when Jesus was asked by the disciples. He says, teach us how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, listen to these words, hallowed be your name. There was a reverence to the name, and there's a humility in prayer. He's saying, listen, I'm here before you, and I'm not lifting my name. I'm hallowing your name. Your name is holy. Your name is different. Your name is powerful, and I am going to be reverent to your name. And in order to take that position, you must humble yourself. John 14, 12, when Jesus was given final instructions before going to the cross, he said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Can I just say, I like to sum this verse up like this, like Father, like Son. The Father did works, and the Son of God did the works. And then, guess what? The other sons of God, because of Jesus, do the works in relationship. But notice what it says. And 
whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the promise of God that if we will humbly pray in the name of Jesus, that he will move. I've heard it said before uh, by uh, an evangelist who comes here all the time. He says the highest form of pride is prayerlessness. Thinking we can do this life without God and his help. But some of you may say, well, you know, I prayed in the name of Jesus and I didn't get what I was asking for. Um, how many of you know that sometimes people have great theological revelations and they are not even believers? Uh, Garth Brooks had one of them regarding prayer. Uh, he, he, uh, he sang this song about Thank God for unanswered prayer. Some of y'all, and when you look back, you're like, oh, thank God I didn't end up with that woman. Thank God I did not end up with that man. That that relationship, I was praying for it, but boy, did they turn out to be a train wreck. And aren't you glad that that didn't work out? You know what you were doing in that moment? You were doing what James 4 says you were asking amiss. James 4 says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Some of you teenagers are like, oh God, please, please let them become my husband or my wife. They may be going to prison. You don't have any idea what you're asking for. Most of the time, we are asking amiss. Now, this word amiss, it's, a, it's not just a target. That's not what this word means. Uh, most of the tri- time, this word amiss is translated sick, diseased, and miserable. Sick, diseased, and miserable. I love this. So God is saying, you are asking for something you want, but if I gave it to you, it would make you sick, it would make you diseased, and it would make you miserable, so I don't give you what you ask. You know what that reveals? The goodness of God. And then God goes beyond our goodness. Anybody ever pray a selfish prayer and actually get what you prayed for? I have. I have. But I just want you to know that when you humbly pray, it's not about you. It's about his name. It's about his character. It's not about the life you're trying to create for yourself. It's about you laying down your life so he can live through you. And then the final way that you can use it properly you humbly pray is you humbly call on the name of the Lord. I love this. You know, in the genesis of the church, when people were wondering how to begin a relationship with God, in Acts chapter 2, it says these words. It says, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Many of you maybe recognize that from Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And it says, and all who call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't say call on the Lord. It says call on the name of the Lord. By the way, both of these are quoting Joel chapter 2. 
And we find out in Acts 4, why, are, why, do we, why do we humbly call on the name of the Lord? Because in Acts chapter 4, it says, it, it says this. It says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders. It's talking about Jesus, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now is there salvation, nor is there any salvation under any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Why do we call upon the name humbly? Because when you call upon the name, you are saved. You are rescued. You are forgiven. And by the way, if you want the full understanding of the third command, God says, I will make sure that those who profane my name, that those will not go unpunished. There is good news. Jesus Christ came to take the punishment of all of us who repent, all of us who call upon his name. This is why we need to humbly call upon his name because we don't want to try to do this on our own. You can't save yourself. You can't work your way into heaven. You need to humbly call upon the name of the Lord. What is the name? Yahweh salvation. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Humbly call upon his name and do it today. Now, there's a great example of people not humbly calling on the name of the Lord. It's from Acts chapter 19, one of my favorite stories. Listen, if you're ever bored, read the Bible. Here's a great story. Acts 19, 13, there were some exorcists. It says this, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you. That doesn't mean work you out. That means get you out, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to Jews and to Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them. Listen, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Listen, when I get to heaven, I'm like, God, I got to get the video on demand of this. I know it's rated R because you got seven naked guys running out and they're bleeding. It's like a horror story. <laughs> but I got to see this. I want to see what it looks like. For people to try to call on the name without relationship. Guys, I actually don't think this X-19 moment is that uncommon. It's just, it just we try to apply the name of the Lord who I heard preached on TV or who I heard preached in a sermon. And it's not done out of humble relationship with the Lord. And what happens we end up bleeding and injured in some way. And, and we, we have fallen sway to the power of the enemy. Why? Because it wasn't done out of relationship and humbly calling on the name of the Lord first for salvation and then in authority. By the way, 
Demons still flee at the name of Jesus. And listen, the most powerful, the most powerful combination on the planet is a spirit-filled believer with the name of Jesus on their lips. I'm telling you, the Bible says, resist the devil. He flees from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What, how do you submit? I humbly call on his name. I, I say, God, I'm not going to elevate my name. I'm going to call on your name, the only name that saves. So why is this message called the principle of humility connected to this commandment? Because reverence, here's the principle, here's the principle. Reverence releases grace. And if I could define grace for you, it just means this. Many people have only given one side of the coin when it comes to grace. That means it's God's undeserved favor. But it is more than just God's undeserved favor. It is God's undeserved favor that is combined with his power to live the life that he has called you to live. It is the undeserved favor of God and it is the divine empowerment of God. That is the grace of God. I, I could teach you all about how grace is all through the power gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 that you can't operate in miracles without grace because even the name gift has the root of grace in it. You need to understand grace is undeserved. It's given to us free but it is a divine empowerment that brings us into a level of authority and a level of favor and a level of blessing. If you're wondering why things aren't working out the way they should be in your relationship with God, check check uh, the, the, this command. Am I reverencing God the way I should? Am, am I using my language to, to reverence Him? Am I, am I bearing His name in an authentic way? Am I, am I humbly praying in His name expecting that an answer would come? To, have I humbly called upon the Lord to receive the salvation that he has provided in the cross? And do I humbly use the name of Jesus to move heaven and earth for other people who are in need of him? This is the revelation that when we come in humility, grace comes to do it all. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble and the 10th verse of James 4 says, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. We don't take the name of the Lord in vain. We take his name and make it meaningful. And we spread his name. And we spread the aroma of God everywhere that we go. And we do it by the grace of God.